welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we're getting back into the swing of things, looking at the teams at the top, duking it out, and seeing who stumbles, who's still standing. With me this week is Talking Foosball cornerstone, Terry DeFellin. Good to see you, T. You've laid a very stable foundation. I feel like I can lean on you whenever I need you. Well, that's uh, good of you. Yeah, of course. I mean, like my schedule is these days pretty open, what with the ongoing horror on the outside. So yeah, I'm usually available to podcast on almost any topic, but preferably football and even more preferably German football with you. Very, very nice to know. I guess we'll be seeing a lot more of Terry in in the coming weeks and months. We will be uh, right back, of course, with uh, a bushel or two of storylines that come out of Match Day 19 in the Bundesliga. But, you know, while I have you here, please do subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your pods. Leave us a five-star rating. It really helps us spread the word. Please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon. Our Scandal series continues over there. You can learn about all the biggest scandals to hit the Bundesliga in its 50-plus year history. Miss Gleich. Right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball. It is our tradition to start with the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 19. Yeah, I, I think kind of the main story to come out of this match day for me was that a whole lot of teams who are all within the, say, top seven or eight teams in the league were going head to head, which was a really nice measuring stick for us to sort of see who's in form, who's, who's to be taken seriously, and maybe less so on on the other side of the coin. And it's probably best to start with the tippy top of the league, as we often do, with Bayern München. They were traveling to Cologne. Cologne, of course, being one of the surprise sides of the season. Rejuvenated under Stefan Baumgart. Did not really look (laughs) rejuvenated in this game. It was a 4-0 loss at home. Kind of a result that reminded fans maybe of the of the bad old days at Cologne. You know, times when 4-0 defeats were routine for the Billy Goats. Robert Lewandowski was the main man in this game, as he so often is. He had a hat trick. It was, you know, more than enough to beat Cologne single-handedly and and, and allowed him to hit the 300 Bundesliga goal milestone. Yeah, hats off to uh, Levy. He's basically the man of the last decade in the Bundesliga and, and might well be for the coming decade as well, depending on how well he takes care of his body, which for all accounts, it seems very, very well. Terry, I don't know if you want to chip in on Lewandowski for a moment, or if you just want to talk about what this game might mean. I mean, obviously kept Bayern six points up in the league title race. I'm kind of interested in what it means for Cologne, perhaps. This was a really tight fixture on match day two in the Bundesliga this season. And this was not a tight fixture. This was a blowout. Were you kind of surprised to see this one get away from FC? I was a bit surprised because still, despite the knowledge and experience of watching this league for as many years as I have done, still express a degree of surprise that Bayern were able to bounce back in the way that they did after their defeat to Gladbach last week. But then at the same time, that is what Bayern do and it's what great sides tend to do, and that is to bounce back. They had people back 
from various issues COVID related, many of them, they were a little bit stronger. And I suppose it also, it's Cologne have improved in an awful lot under Baumgart, but they still, they still have that soft underbelly, which can be exploited. And so I shouldn't be that surprised that Bayern would have been very, very keen to make some kind of response. And yeah, I mean, what can you say, Lewandowski? I mean, we'll never know whether or not Lewandowski can do it on a wet Wednesday in Burnley because, you know, he doesn't need to prove himself to that level. I mean, his, his, his record speaks for himself and it's a spectacular way to hit your 300 mark. It's just a shame that the conditions being what they are meant that there were no fans in the stadium. Uh, so it's kind of a bit of a return to order and to what we expect this season to be. A few weeks ago before the winter pause, I think we'd all given up on the Bundesliga title race. It's still open, but really Bayern have you know, staked a claim now for that title and, and just reminded everyone what needs to be done in order to beat them. Yeah, I think any time we get ahead of ourselves and start thinking that Bayern might have a soft underbelly of their own, they really like to slap us down and uh, remind us that that is not the case at all. Okay, Stefan Baumgart, uh, you mentioned him just a moment ago. He has been sort of the man behind Cologne's turnaround this season. I think that's fair to say. I'm not entirely convinced that they are going to end up this league campaign quite as high up as, as some of the higher heights that they have hit thus far. I think this is going to probably turn out to be a mid-table finish. But for Cologne, that's a really big change, or that's a that's an area of the table they have not been able to sort of wrap their well, I guess hooves don't have fingers. Uh, you can't really talk about them wrapping fingers or <laughs> talons if they were, you know, a bird. Yeah, they they've not been able to sort of um steady themselves at that level. So just even doing that will be great. I'm interested, however, in his his newfound or seemingly newfound, at least the from a publicity perspective. It's only now beginning to get some press. He's expanding his his jersey collection, it seems. Last week, he asked Kevin Prince Boateng for his shirt after the game. Got that. This week, Manuel Neuer was the guy who he wanted to get a shirt off of, which he did. Neuer, however, demanded <laughs> that he get a flat cap in return for his jersey, which I think is fair enough. <laughs> Not that this is, is something that's a, a real controversy, but I am not aware of, of a lot of coaches, managers, however you want to call them, who, um, who are into the sort of, uh, jersey collecting game. Even ones with as sort of a, you know, down to earth image as a guy like Baumgart. What do, what do you make of this? Maybe he feels he's, he's, he, well, he is. He's spectacularly old school, isn't he? In his tone and his manner. Not in his tactics, it's got to be said. Uh, he's one of the reasons why Cologne are, are interesting and can be difficult to beat is that he's, is he's whipped that team into shape. Yes, teams like Bayern can play through their press, but most of the teams in the Bundesliga would, will struggle to play through the Cologne press. And, and he's done a really, really good job and he's doing a really good job whipping that squad into shape. But he is also reassuringly old school. You know, he reminds me of a kind of like... 1970s manager who would wear sheepskin coats and fedora hats and would have character but would also have sidelines and side hustles and maybe that's probably what he thinks because I mean back then you know the managers weren't paid a fortune you know you you didn't necessarily you know if you were a first division football manager 
and I imagine it's the same in certainly the same in the 1970s in the in the Bundesliga. You, you know, you were there was no guarantee that you could put your feet up after a few years of being a top line manager. You usually needed something else to go on. So maybe he, yeah, he's developing his, you know, his his side hustle, and he'll be a trader in uh, replica collectible shirts. Uh, we'll see Baumgart Enterprises launching, you know, in a few years from now. Maybe they'll even sponsor Talking Fußball. Oh yeah. If 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 you play your cards right. I would not be surprised that uh, you know people of a certain interest will will one day start seeing um, Stefan Baumgart branded flat caps appear and ads on their Instagram feed. You know, direct sales to Bundesliga fans around the world. Well, you know, where I live in Shoreham, down here on sunny Sussex by the sea, there there's a fantastic men's apparel shop uh, just along the main high street and uh, a couple of a Baumgart flat cap would go nicely I think in that shop window go nicely and indeed on my head being a gentleman <laughs> yeah. of a certain age yeah we're getting into uh, flat cap territory you and me it was a little funny however to see uh, Manuel Neuer sporting a flat cap in his own Instagram post following that game but let's get back to, uh, to, to serious serious football talk you mentioned that Cologne press and and I think any of us who have seen this team on a number of occasions this season will have noticed what a proficient press that is. There's not a lot of teams in the league who are doing it better than them. However, I saw a hell of a press on Friday night, and that was from your boys from Borussia Dortmund. Um, I mean, you know, Bayern, of course, they needed to get that victory on Saturday in Cologne. They were put under pressure by what I thought was a real humdinger of a win from Dortmund over Freiburg. Freiburg, of course, were entering into that game, I think, in fourth place, and they got slaughtered. It was a 5-1 win for Dortmund. You had Thomas Meunier, of all people, getting a first-half brace with two-headed goals off of uh, uh, corner kicks. Erling Haaland getting a brace of his own, a goal on, on either side of halftime. And then Mo Dahoud capping it off with a nice curler at the end there. What stood out for you, Terry? I mean, I, I thought that that sort of counter press that they did led to a lot of really good chances for them, some of which ended up in goals. What did you make of the quality of Dortmund's performance? I mean, we saw that Wild West, like back from the brink stuff, which they also do a lot of last week against Eintracht. And this was something we haven't seen in a while from BFLB. Yeah, last weekend was more of your kind of Dortmund as a sort of like vibing Barclays team which we see a lot of with Dortmund in this season. But this week was much more of a sort of actual authentic Bundesliga experience with Dortmund. Extremely well disciplined, well set up and surprisingly so. Taking advantage, I think, of a couple of factors about their opposition. I think I suspect that the absence of Nico Schlotterbeck was a big miss for Freiburg. And I have to say, I suspect there's also some kind of psychological thang going on that Christian Strike can't get out of that player's head. And that's that they just can't get a result at the Westfalen and, and, and rarely do. And stuff like this matters. And it clearly matters because we see it so often. And I think that there was a bit of that. But I mean, ultimately, to concede two corners, two goals from corners for a top level Bundesliga side is actually a surprise these days, you know, and the fact that they seem to be clones of one another, you know, this was almost like watching, <laughs> it was almost Dortmund-esque in their, in their inability to defend set pieces. And it was quite weird to see the shoe on the other foot. But it suggested that also there was just some 
kind of deficiency there in their set piece defence. Uh, and yeah, maybe maybe something to do with the absence of Schlotterbeck. Christian Strike would know that better, which obviously then put them on the massive back foot from then on in. And then really Dortmund were in a position to to pick them off. I mean, in the second half, of course, Freiburg responded as you'd expect them to do because they are proper good this season, as we've said before. And you would be surprised if they didn't respond and they got a goal back. And you did wonder whether or not maybe there was a moment, you know, where you're thinking, well, this is Dortmund. Anything could happen. But actually, the manner with which they reasserted control over the game was quite impressive. And of course, yeah, I mean, once you've got the opportunity to put Haaland through, he doesn't need a second excuse. Yeah, yeah. let's talk about Haaland. He, of course, is the most high-profile player at Dortmund. He's one of the most high-profile players in the league. He had been... And this was, you know, by his lofty standards, I guess he had been on a little bit of a, a goalless streak. I think two whole games he hadn't scored. And and to tell the truth, the last couple of games, both Eintracht and the, the loss in Berlin in, back in December, he hadn't looked all that great or looked all that sharp, let's just say. And this was <laughs> all kinds of a return to form. I mean, this was the Holland who, when he bears down on goal and sort of puts in touches much quicker than you think and much quicker than you think a man of his size with both feet can manage, it was right on time for Dortmund, I have to say. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like <laughs> the goal drought being what it is, notable by virtue of the fact that, that you know, it's really unlikely for a game to go by and harder not scoring it. It's 78 goals in 77 games, which is just a mind-boggling statistic. It's but pornographic. It really is. I mean, it, I mean it, it, he's, it's just a... How do I put this without sounding kind of disrespectful? It, it, it does look like a player who was created in a lab. I mean, it, it's, he's... he's got all of the necessary attributes as a footballer he's big he's strong he's athletic he's got an amazing first touch he's got extraordinary intelligence and awareness he knows how to conduct himself properly on the pitch he knows how to go just too far without getting himself into serious trouble he knows how to get up in the opposition players grills and he also knows how to conduct himself off the field in terms of his post-match and media appearances as well. Not every player, it should be said, is as proficient as he is in all of those qualities. And yet he seems he seems to be able, it's, all, it's like he must, because obviously he's the son of a pro and he looks like the cardio. His dad, his dad was a decent player, but obviously... <laughs> Nowhere near as decent as that. Yeah, I mean, he's mostly famous for getting his leg broken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. I mean, he played for. I mean, he played at a decent level for for for, for most oh, of yeah. his career. He's a, he was a decent footballer, but obviously, he's created this super footballer, who one assumes is only likely to get better. He is not as good as others. There are better strikers on the planet. Robert Lewandowski is one of them, and he may never be as good as Lewandowski because Lewandowski is possibly a one-off. But then it's quite likely that he will, and that all depends on what happens to him next. But yeah, I mean, it's just so amazing to watch, particularly if you support his team. But obviously, there's still some uncertainty that surrounds him, and the problem now is is what happens after Haaland, I guess. Yeah, yeah. You brought up his poise in media appearances and interviews. So we, we might as well break into this topic, which caused some waves 
in the Dortmund camp as well as, you know, across the Bundesliga, the football world. He made some comments after this game. He had just scored two goals and he looked frustrated. And Jan Agafjotoft, his, you know, Norwegian countryman who is is a big presence at Bundesliga games. He's, you know, at quite a lot of them, especially ones that Dortmund play because he's, you know, following the big man for the, the folks back home. Asked him, what, you know, why he looked frustrated. And he replied, first of all, that he wanted to get a third goal, but also saying that, you know, for the last six months, I've really been trying to, to keep this on the down low. I've been trying to sort of downplay this. But the club is forcing my hand that it's now this, this whole topic of, you know, is he going to stick around for another year? Is he going to be, you know, sold to a bigger club in the summer? The sort of the question of what his future holds, he says is now sort of being forced to the forefront by Borussia Dortmund. Um, <laughs> it's, it, I almost was, I have to laugh when I'm saying it, <laughs> considering. <laughs> You know, the the Holland industrial complex that surrounds him and his career and his agent and his father. And I mean, it's 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 basically a, a cottage industry that operates on a, on a 24 hour news cycle basis. What, what do you make of this? Did it sound calculated? Did it seem disingenuous? Did it rub you the wrong way? Does he have a point? Where Where is he coming from? He rubbed me the wrong way, but he's also got a point. It was definitely calculated. I mean, you know, Rihanna Gafjortoft is, a, I would imagine, part of the of Team Harland, oh. <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you. I wish to... He's part of the young. group chat, I think. Yeah, he's certainly, he's certainly in all the right WhatsApp groups. I don't wish to, dis, to, to take issue with, with Rihanna Gafjortoft's journalistic integrity because... You know, it's a, he's a sports journalist and this is kind of how this stuff works. You have your connections and that's to a degree how you get on and that and how you get these kind of stories. But, I mean, there's no question that this was almost certainly staged or at the very least this was an opportunity to get something, to move the narrative forward. Well, I've just scored a couple of goals. This would be a great time to address some certain things and move things forward. If Harland wants people to stop talking about his future in public that he needs to speak to his agent as much as he needs to speak to his club his employers if he wants things to be if and, and this to get sorted you know in may or june then you know that's fair enough but from the club's point of view you know they are going to miss him they're going to need two patrick schicks to replace one Erling Haaland, I think. And they're going to ideally need a rule change that they can field 12 guys instead of 11. That's the scale of the miss that Haaland's going to be when he leaves. And he, of course, he's going to leave. If he's going in the summertime, it's perfectly reasonable to start thinking about what you're going to do to replace him in the summertime. And therefore, it's perfectly reasonable to ask the player, what are your plans? Can we convince you to stay? What would you like to do? Now, whether or not Dortmund should have had these conversations in public, I don't know. I suspect it would have been better not to. But I think it's unfair to criticise the club for going public on these matters when his own people are going public themselves. I think if you're going to criticise Dortmund, you should criticise your own agent. And that seems unlikely. Yep. Yep. I mean, as much as, you know, Michel Tork or Sebastian Kale wants to keep that relationship as smooth and as copacetic as possible. Even more, 
they want to please their fans. And if they are seen by the fan base to be fumbling this bag or to be somehow negligent in their due diligence to, to replace this guy who is by all reports going to leave this summer, that's something they can't afford to do. So I get where you're coming from. I also, one, one other comment that I did want to parse for a second is uh, Marco Rosa after this game assuring journalists that he did not count his team out of the title race yet, or at least said that despite the fact that Bayern are, are, are six points up and they're playing well for the most part, they still have their eyes on that league title prize. Is this a legitimate aspiration, dream? Is there a universe in which things end in that outcome? You can't look at a six-point gap and then say, no, we're out of the title race. Yeah, I mean, like 12, perhaps, but I mean, not 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 six points, not at this point. I know it's Bayern, and I know, I mean, I don't think anybody would argue the fact that Bayern have the best squad, have the best players, probably the best coach in the Bundesliga, and would be deserving Bundesliga title winners were they to win. And, and I certainly wouldn't be putting any money on anyone other than Bayern Munich to win the title. Uh, this season, but it, of course things go wrong, and uh, particularly now during during these difficult times, uh, another bad COVID outbreak, uh, a long term injury to Robert Lewandowski, and the the, the situation looks entirely different. And well, arguably, Bayern would still have enough, but you know. sure. I mean, we were reminded with this Alfonso Davies myocarditis situation. I mean, is, is, by all reports, it seems like that's not going to turn out to be a career-threatening, health-threatening thing. But it could keep him out for a month. That could happen to anybody yeah. in in the Bundesliga, and that's you know, COVID is still very scary. Yeah, and we don't know what the full extent of long COVID, and of course, we're not quite certain of the full extent of long COVID, particularly when it comes to professional athletes. And the punishment that they put their bodies through in conjunction with this virus. So, so there's there's a lot. I mean, of course, the same applies to all teams and all athletes and all teams. So it still would point to a Bayern win, but with a six point gap, even under normal circumstances, you'd be disappointed if a coach didn't feel that they still had a shot at the title in January. Okay, yeah, six point gap, and you you have a striker as good as Holland, you know. Don't count yourself out, especially when Bayern are going to be playing quite a few more Champions League games moving forward. I was about to say exactly that. I mean, Bayern, you would expect to go deep in the Champions League. They've got to be among the favourites to win the Champions League. There's going to be a cost to that. Yeah, OK, Dortmund have got some English evokers themselves. They're still in the cup, for example. And of course, they've got the Europa League and that, the disadvantages that comes with having to play all your games on a Sunday as a consequence of the Europa League. But... You know, I think the pressure's greater for Bayern than it is for Dortmund. So, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely all to play for, as they say. Hurrah! All right, we had another uh, pretty big clash on uh, match day nineteen. This one was between teams that entered, I think, in third place and seventh place, respectively. Hoffenheim were traveling to Union Berlin, and uh, yeah, Union came out on top. They didn't. Look very likely to be uh, doing so at first. Timo Baumgartel put the Hoff on top after 15 minutes with an own goal. But, uh, you know, Andreas Vogelsammer evened it up a few minutes later. And Grisha Prömer scored a scrappy winner in the 73rd minute to seal that result. What do you make of, uh, of Union's sort of continued hanging around 
at the very upper reaches of this table. I mean, I'm shocked and I am super impressed that their sort of level of, of consistency in not only winning the games that you expect them to win, but beating other teams around the top. This is this is great stuff. It is fantastic stuff, particularly when you consider that uh, Taiwo Iwanihi is is currently, you know, getting it done for Nigeria in Afcon right now, and is 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 not available. And uh, it, it, but it's great to see like like Pommel, who you don't really probably, unless you are a Union fan, you probably don't think about too much. He's popped up with what is it three in the last couple of games. Yeah, he had a brace in uh, in the last game and then a, a one in this one. Stepping up, filling in with them goals just at the moment when when Union need it. It is still extraordinary what they're doing, but you know they've, they've built a great foundation and they're getting the best out of the players. They do have some some proper quality in there. They've got tons of experience. I thought, I mean, Baumgartel's finish was absolutely sensational, wasn't it? It's just obviously a, a shame he was playing for the wrong team, but you know, you know, it was still a. A decent goal. Um, so, I mean, every time I come in here and I'm asked about Union, I end up saying the same thing. And, and and it is a narrative that I think we need and I need to to get away from, you know, is that, you know, try not to look so surprised when, you know, you think, it, you know, the season's going to bite hard on Union and, and they still hang in there. I'd say upper mid-table quality, so let's not get too carried away. But let's, you know, let's, you know, bearing in mind that, that they're relatively you know, low budget that they have for their squad. No, they're still, I would say, punching above their weight. So it's, it's, it's good to see. And, and it's always great to see Max Cruiser play football and they give Max Cruiser minutes. And for that, they deserve huge respect. Yeah, natural, natural bonus points for them. Of course, big, big spotlight on Union at midweek. They are going to be traveling across town to face Hertha in the uh, DFB Pokal last 16 you know, Berlin Derby there. Pretty, pretty tasty. Your boys, Dortmund, and another pretty delicious fixture. They're, they're going up to St. Pauli to play. Any thoughts on either one of those two or perhaps a, another game you'd like to th- sort of throw into the hopper as, a, as, as imminently watchable? There are some very watchable football matches going on in midweek in the DFB Pokal, it's got to be said. The Berlin Derby is, of course, going to be pretty damn tasty. It would be better if there were fans there or a full house there, but it's still going to be a tasty i think obviously union are comfortably the favorites for that but you know there's an opportunity for her to to rid themselves of the grind of the of, of league football and maybe cause an upset and of course you know english evokers can be tricky for mid-table clubs so you never know and it's a derby game i mean dortmund against san Pauli is going to be a game of football that's going to be a real game of football that is and i mean i'm thinking about Bellingham in that environment, a full. Oh, of course, this won't be a full house, will it? Oh, if it, if it, again, if this was a full house, then there would be some interesting things going on there as well. Lots and lots and lots of stuff happening. But as it is, it, that takes some of the spectacle away, or a lot of the spectacle away from it. And I think it it makes things difficult for Zhang Pauli to get an upset. But again, you know. 
St. Pauli are a decent side, as we know. I've sadly, due to the nature of, of, of the way the UK broadcasts Bundesliga football these days, I don't get to watch much uh, second division stuff. So I, I can't really give any kind of analysis on St. Pauli beyond the fact that I know that they're doing well and that they're going to they're gonna be well up for this game. But beyond that, I mean, I think like, you know, Hoffenheim Freiburg is a, is a decent fixture because both of these two teams are kind of surprising people in the Bundesliga this season. And with Bayern not in the title, not in the race rather, there's there's opportunities for these two teams to go to go far and maybe do something that people wouldn't expect them to do. So the, uh, I mean, again, you know, Cologne Hamburg. I mean, like goodness me, two traditional clubs. I mean, there's there's tons to be here, and then you've got like you know you've got representation in lower leagues between 1860 and Karlsruhe. I mean, like it's. It's, it's all good. It's a really nice draw. And I'm really looking forward to getting stuck into some of these games. Yep, for sure. I, I can think of a reason to watch just about all of them. We have, you know, Bochum at home to Mainz, which is a, a reverse of the league fixture, which happened three days prior. I mean, it's, there, there's a lot of good, good stuff there. So tune in. All right. We will be back. Here comes part two of Talking Foosball Direct. I'm Matt Herman. I'm here with Terry DeFellin. This is the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. Okay, we've, I've kind of split them into uh, groups of two. First, we have a couple of results that I think may portend a little bit of solidifying of the credentials of a couple of teams with big aspirations who have not always lived up to them. Uh, in the season thus far. And that would be Leverkusen with a 2-1 win over Borussia Mönchengladbach. That was the uh, the top spiel from, from the weekend, as well as RB Leipzig, who defeated Falpe Stuttgart 2-0 in Stuttgart. Okay, any initial thoughts about those two sides and their dreams of getting back into the Champions League? I mean, Leipzig have done it a number of years running Leverkusen are a side that sort of sees themselves in that top four territory, ideally, although hasn't always hit that bullseye a lot in the last several years. What do you make of where they're at right now? I wonder whether or not Leipzig and Leverkusen have got the kind of pedigree and squad depth to be able to find themselves into those top four spots. Certainly Leipzig, who are coming from a lower lower point, but have obviously improved significantly under Domenico Tedesco, who is a good coach, just suffered like a lot of Schalke coaches did just by being the fact that, you know, sooner or later it, it goes wrong at Schalke anyway. Did an amazing job in that in his first full season there and has certainly demonstrated so far in his short career at Leipzig that he's got the players working for him. And I think that they've probably got the squad depth to continue up that table when you consider that Freiburg... And yes, Union and conceivably Hoffenheim may all have issues with squad depth as they get closer and closer towards the end of the season. They might run out of steam. I mean, they might not. We've been saying these kind of things for all the time, but a lot of this comes down to, to pedigree and form. Leverkusen, similarly, I mean, they had they had a wobble, but they are they, there's some such high quality players there. DRB and Schick, everyone is talking about, but Florian Vogt, don't don't forget about him as well. Such a nice, most of the time, quite nicely balanced team. Although they, they can they can throw the odd wobbler, but they're a Bundesliga side. 
I just, just feel that they've got those two teams have got the pedigree and the quality to get into the top four, while the so-called smaller teams with the so-called smaller squads maybe you know will struggle when we get into March and April. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to spare a little bit of a sympathy for uh, Jan Zummer coming out of this uh, this weekend's game against Leverkusen. I mean, this was a two-one win for Leverkusen. Jan Zummer did everything he could to keep Gladbach in that game, saving two penalties and, you know, making a number of other critical saves. You got to feel for him. He has been playing at such a high level for the last, I don't know, three or four seasons, maybe more. And this is the first year in a while where his team is just absolutely playing at a couple of levels under where he is at. And I wonder what he's going through right now. I think it's kind of symptomatic of the broader problem that Gladbach are having. I, I believe it's it's being widely speculated that Max Abel may leave and that perhaps this squad may well get, get split up. I mean, obviously there's this business with Zakaria as well, who may or may not be going this window. And I just think... Yeah, Ginter as well. And there's this sense that this golden generation, for want of a better term, is splitting apart. Uh, how that translates specifically to Jan Zomer is that he has always been and is consistently one of the best goalkeepers in the Bundesliga. It is moderately surprising that he hasn't moved on. But then, you know, goalkeepers, there's only one per team, right? So you're not, it's, not, it's not so easy to get that dream move to Barcelona when they happen to have, you know, Marc-Andre Ter Stegen or to go to Real Madrid or to Bayern Munich or, you know, it, it's not so easy to do. But this guy could walk into, you suspect, any top team, any team on the top table of the Champions League and should be playing Champions League football. And he's demonstrating that to people right now in the way that he's keeping things going. But it is also worth bearing in mind that keepers obviously do play within a coherent back three, back four, back five, whatever it may be, but not probably to the extent that the outfield players do. So, you know, the outfield players are far more reliant on each other for their own quality of their own performances than the goalkeeper is. So Yanzama has, to an extent, the luxury of being able to do his own thing while, you know, Friedrich or Janska or Elvedi, you know, they will, you know, they rely on on their teammates as much as themselves for their performances and, and to keep things going. And of course, you know, it's always great for goalkeepers in a certain degree, because if it is all dysfunctional ahead of you, you get to look really, really cool because you get to make the big saves and look like you're, you know, keeping it. And of course the focus is all on there. It's one of the rare privileges that comes with being a goalkeeper in what is otherwise a genuinely pretty thankless task. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We had uh, a couple of games on Sunday, which both ended in a draw. I guess uh, we, we can address first, I think, the game that neither of us paid a lot of attention to. So sue us. It was Bielefeld versus Fürth. Uh, actually, you know, it was a 2-2 result. Pretty exciting in the end. Both teams were sort of going at it. it looked like uh, Fürth were going to steal a result. But uh, Gonzalo Castro, you know, still fairly new at Armenia Bielefeld, got um, a, a late equalizer in that one. And then the early game from Sunday, which was uh, Augsburg versus Eintracht Frankfurt, which, um, you know, I watched and actually quite enjoyed. 
But I, I thought Augsburg, for in particular, were much more positive than I had seen them at earlier stages of this season. The first half, particularly. Yeah, signs that Marcus Feinstein's effect is taking hold. They are lively and interesting to watch in this match. Uh, I, I was quite surprised by that, and of course, US listeners would be interested. To, may well have been watching this game because of Ricardo Pepe's debut. It was a, quite a quite a high profile transfer, and they put him straight in the side. And I thought he looked lively, although he. He should have scored, to be fair. So could have been a lot better for him. I think that they were a bit unlucky to draw this game, maybe. What do you think? Eh, I mean, I thought they were much better in the first half, but, you know, game of two halves and all that. Mm. They, they were much too passive in the second half, I thought. I mean, mm. I can see what they were thinking because while I thought that they mostly had the better of things in the first half, there were a couple of stages at which Frankfurt were – looking to pick them off on the counter and, and you know were successful at least once. But I, I thought that they were much in control of the game in the first half, and I was really pleased and impressed. I, what they had going on going forward with you know a very capable central midfield pairing of uh, Arne Meyer and Nicholas Dorsch, and then a fairly quick, dangerous group <laughs> up front with you know Vargas, Pepe, Grigorich, and, and Zakiri, who I'm a little less familiar with but thought he was all right. I thought that that was a group that was enough to sort of keep Eintracht's hands full and to see them sort of pull back and, um, I don't know, risk a little less in the second half was quite disappointing. But, you know, that first half performance, I thought, probably should have earned them more than one goal. Well, yeah, sure. And indeed, because Pepe was in on goal, wasn't he, I think? If they yeah, that first yeah. scuff shot. Yeah, and he scuffed particular. it. And it, that's a real shame, because uh, that would have been quite the statement and set things up nicely. No reason to assume, of course, that he won't produce the goods. It's just the first game. Yeah, I, I think you've got to look at the, the, that forward line and, 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 and certainly say that, that Augsburg are an interesting team to watch and with a potential for four goals. But yeah... You do have to show the ambition. But Frankfurt, of course, are dangerous and, you know, a, a team to be taken seriously. And I suppose it's understandable that players maybe when they've got a 1-0 advantage in the second half will, despite themselves, sit back and, and try and protect what they leave or, or protect the foundation of a victory. But, I mean, yeah, yeah I, I mean... I certainly, no one can argue with the with the outcome of the result. Certainly any Eintracht fans listening think I'm being unfair Then you know, they played their role in this, although obviously, I think, you know, Frankfurt still frustratingly just don't seem to be able to click. They don't seem to be able to get the key passes going at the key moments. And it's a little bit frustrating for them to watch, but it's not going quite so badly under Oliver Glasner as it could have been when you think back to the start of the season. Yeah, there's just a strange correlation between those games that uh, Philip Kostic doesn't play in mm. and the ones that, that Frankfurt don't win. I wonder what it could be, Matt. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, there are a couple of more games to address uh, briefly. One was a mid-table clash. The other one was between teams who dearly wish that they were <laughs> as good as mid-table. Of course, I'm talking about Mainz uh, defeating Bochum 1-0. Uh, they, they were the home side in that one. They will be the away side in their uh, uh, DFB call rematch on, on Tuesday. And the nil-nil draw between Wolfsburg and Hertha, which, you know, you know which one I watched 90 minutes of on, <laughs> on Saturday. Uh, well, I mean, let's just give props to Mainz. 
like they continue to go on both fence on, you know, I mean, he's obviously a chippy little shit who likes to open his mouth too much, <laughs> take issue with stuff. But, you know, uh, maybe he needs some anger management issues. I don't know. Uh, but, but I mean, he's got a, he's, he's got a well-drilled mid table side there, keeping them well out of trouble and, uh, and against a, a limited, but difficult to beat Bochum side. Um, and uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing part two of that and seeing where that goes uh, there. And, uh, you know, I, I'll leave you <laughs> to talk about uh, Wolfsburg Hertha. I, mean, I think all I would really add from the Wolfsburg point of view is like what what's going on. You know, I mean, Florian Kohfeldt must already be on super thin ice and he's only been there for five minutes. Yeah, yeah. I feel like when you're at a club that the last two managers before like we're going back four managers at this point, you know, Wolfsburg got rid of Labadia and Glasner principally over personality clash issues. You go and you, you get a manager in Mark van Bommel who just wasn't up to it. That's a pretty big, you know, red X next to your coaching choice name. If you're uh Jörg Schmatka and if it looks like he's gotten this next coaching decision wrong with Florian Kofeld, I don't see a world in which Kofeld goes and, and Schmatka doesn't go. I mean, Schmatka has basically driven two good coaches out and hired maybe, maybe if the results keep going, two bad ones. That means he's going too. So th- there could be real trouble, real big icebergs ahead for Wolfsburg if things don't turn around. As far as the game, <laughs> There's not a lot to say other than it was trash. <laughs> uh, both of these teams didn't do a whole lot as far as uh, as going forward. I think probably Wolfsburg had had the better chances. That is, if if you take out the goal that Hertha scored and had chalked off for pretty dubious reasons, but you know Wolfsburg, of course, have their own arguments about a not given penalty. Blah blah blah. Not a hugely watchable game. I watched it anyway. I'm sorry, Matt. Yes, yes, you should be sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, you've got to watch it. It's your team. Uh, it's the law. You've got to watch your team, no matter how bad they are. Any signs of optimism that maybe Korkut's, I don't know, getting some kind of coherence in that side? Are they looking, are there any shoots or roots of optimism that you can draw upon for the future, the future <laughs> being, you know, union on, on Tuesday. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm actually fairly pleased with how things have gone under Korkut. I think particularly when Steven Jovetic comes back and he gets to link up with, with Ishak Belfodil, the, the re- early returns from that, brief as they were, were very positive. You know, there's still some players who look like they're not fitting in very well. And Mizian Malida had a pretty bad game. Vladimir Dorita, who offers a whole lot in terms of ball chasing and running around, but had a atrocious game going forward. His passing and his crossing were hideous. So if, if he can make a few more changes, I think, I think things could go their way. But right now, Onyon are just miles ahead. So, you know, it's the law. I'll watch my team. <laughs> But uh, I will be shocked and pleased if they get a result. Yeah, that enjoying the rare um, situation of being an underdog in the Berlin derby, which, you know, comes with its advantages. Yeah, I, I keep feeling like, you know, Union, they keep selling their players. They sold Rowan Andrich early in the season. 
didn't seem to phase them. They just sold Marvin Friedrich uh, now in the winter transfer window. Uh, thus far, uh, didn't phase him. Well, it was just one game, but you know, I keep thinking at some stage they're gonna they're gonna sell all their their good players and th- things are gonna go wrong for them. But it it just isn't. It just isn't. They're too good. All right, that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct. It was produced as always by Aiden Rantoul. Really, really great to have you back, Terry. Great to be back, Matt. Always a pleasure. Nice. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Terry DeFellin. Do consider picking up a copy of his book. What's that book called again, Terry? It's called uh, Borussia Dortmund, A History of Black and Yellow. And if you're in the UK, it can be found in selected, decent bookshops, uh, or you can order it direct from Ockley Books, the publisher, or you can order it from Amazon. And if you don't like paper, then you can, if you can wait till February, then the ebook should be available sometime in February. Spectacular stuff. If you want to contact me, of course, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman on Twitter, Talking Foosball Fantasy. We'll be back to get you ready for the weekend. And even before that, Talking Foosball Extra with uh, Nick Vildhagen coming your way in just a couple of days. Don't forget that Scandal series continues this week on Patreon. Give a thought to that. This is from Nixon Mullion. 